You're listening to Unscripted with Alex, a podcast that empowers young families to make choices that are best for them and their children. to Unscripted with Alex. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited today to hear about your birth stories and you've got three. Yes. So you've got three children under the age of four. Is that right? I've got three, four and under. Yeah. So when my last bub was born, I did have three under four. So it's a bit hectic in my household. (laughs) It was a bit of a struggle getting out of the house today. I can imagine. It's a bit of a juggling act. You're, um, You're outnumbered once you get to three. Oh yeah, definitely. You have to pull in all the grandparents. Definitely. I've got a big village. So what I'm really interested to hear today is that, and I think the listeners are going to find this very interesting, is that your first pregnancy was via IVF. Yes. And then your second two were naturally conceived. So I think we'll probably just jump straight into that Mm -hmm. and kind of try to work out, do you know why that was? It's a bit of a crazy story. Yeah. Um, People think it's a bit insane when I tell them that, yeah, I First bub was IVF and then the next two were natural and very quick. Um, Like we didn't try for very long for our second or third bub. So we were really, really lucky. So, yeah, I guess it all starts back in 2015 when my husband and I decided to start trying for babies. And we tried for about six months and it wasn't happening. So um, I just happened to go to the GP for something totally unrelated and I couldn't get what I needed to get done at the GP at that time. So she sort of said to me, is there anything else I can help you with? And I sort of said, oh, well, you know, my husband and I have been trying to have a baby and, you know, we've been trying for six months and I know you guys probably don't think that's a long time, but, you know, we really want to have a baby. And she had known my husband for many, many years. So she said, you guys, you're both young and you're fairly fit and healthy. She said, let's look into it. So um, we started on, we did ultrasounds, some blood tests and uh, semen analysis and everything came back clear. So she sort of sent us off to a gynecologist from there. And I got diagnosed with um, severe endometriosis, which... I kind of thought I had something going on. Um, growing up, like, my periods were really, really heavy. Um, got to the point where in my 20s they were kind of debilitating. I'd be on the kitchen floor in the fetal position. And in my head I was like, I'm just being weak. Like, everyone goes has a period. Like, you know, I was – I just had in my head that, you know, um, yeah, like – that was just how that it was, was meant, how to, it was meant be. to be. Mm. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm being a bit of a wuss. Yeah. I was diagnosed with endometri- severe endometriosis. So I, I went in for exploratory surgery and I remember my doctor telling me after, he said, you know, normally this surgery takes about 20 minutes. Like we go in, we have a bit of a look. If there's any kind of adhesions, we burn them off and, you know, we go from there. And I came out and he said to me, we were in there for over an hour and a half. And I was like, oh. And he said, I don't know how I haven't seen you 10 years ago. And I was like, right. So I think it was a pretty severe case by the sounds of it. So he said, look, we've done what we can. We've um, burnt off as many adhesions as we can. So now go off and 
try and have a baby. <laughs> so my husband and I Off you go and conceive. Yeah. <laughs> have fun. Um, so we did that for like – we sort of left it for quite a few months and it still nothing was happening. Went back to him and he put me on three, ma- three rounds of Clomid. Um, still nothing happened. And I sort of got defeated at that point and – I was like, you know, we've done it. Like, we've done the surgery. You know, we've tried naturally. We've tried Clomid. And in my head, I was like, we don't have the money for IVF. Like, this is going to bankrupt us. Like, we've just bought a new house. We've got married. Like, we can't afford IVF on top of this. And I knew if I'd gone to our parents, you know, they would have 100% helped me. But I was like, you know, we wanted to do this on our own. And it shouldn't be this hard to just have a baby. (laughs) Like, I think you... You, you grow up and you're going through high school and they're like, you know, don't have unprotected sex because, you know, you'll get pregnant, you get pregnant like that and it just doesn't happen. Well, well, all the time it just doesn't happen like that. Yeah, so we- I sort of left it for quite a few months and we were out at a friend's house, I think, and um, a guy that I worked with, he was also he's also one of my husband's best mates. We got chatting and he's kind of like a brother to me at the time and I was sort of like sort of unloaded everything on him (laughs) and I said, look, I don't know if we're ready to go down that path. Like I don't know if we're financially ready and emotionally ready and physically ready. And he goes, is anyone ever ready for a baby? And I'm like, nope. (laughs) And that sort of went, okay, let's just do it. So I went back to my gyno and he sent me to a fertility specialist in Perth and we started the process and we were really, really lucky in the fact that we'd never had a miscarriage. We'd never actually had a pregnancy, so we'd never had a miscarriage. Um, you know, my BMI wasn't high. We were in the perfect age range. Like, all of these things were ticking the box. And so we got what they called IVF light, which is crazy. Um, it's basically, you know, you go in for like one round of everything and it's like at a discounted price. It was crazy. Like, you're sort of shopping around. <laughs> It just sounds super bizarre. It's it's strange. But I think because we didn't have any other risk factors, um, it was a straightforward IVF procedure. Um, So, yeah, we went in and I think we ended up with six eggs that we harvested. Um, And every day they call you and they update you and tell you, you know, how they're going. (laughs) Um, So we decided to do – they did sort of tell us at the start that you could do either ICSI or IVF. So IVF is when – they put the sperm and the egg in a petri dish and they let them do their thing to get, like on their own. And ICSI is when they actually inject the sperm into the egg. Um, because we only had six, they suggested we do all six ICSI. So we decided to do that. And yeah, every day they'd call you and tell you, uh, you know, this one hasn't made it or this one's not looking good, you know. So every day they'd update you on how many you have. And we ended up having three that got to day five which is blastocysts so they started hatching which was great um so we went up to perth and it was really funny because my husband had to work and so my mum came with me so we always joke that my mum was there when we conceived our baby (laughs) which is really really odd (laughs) but she was there holding my hand (laughs) Um, which is really special so she was there yeah she saw the little speck on the screen and um we took a photo you're not supposed to but they're like, oh, your husband's not here. So quick, take a little photo. So I was like, this is our baby. <laughs> and we were so lucky it worked first go. Like, oh, we couldn't believe it. 
Um, that is amazing. Yeah, they're waiting around for that phone call and they tell you not to do a pregnancy test just in case, you know, your hormones could be all over the show. And Did you do one? Cause no. Ev- you, well no. Done. No, we You'd didn't. You'd be probably the only person I've ever spoken to so far. We that didn't. I was like, no, I do not want to get my hopes up because I knew that it can show up um, if it's not a viable pregnancy. If you've, you've got any, you know, HCG in your body then it can show up on a pregnancy test from the trigger shot right yep so i was like i'm not doing it so i held strong and we didn't find out until we got the phone call (gasps) so they called me and i was happened to be working for my husband at the time and they called me at work and i'm like i'm at work i'm gonna call them back so i even did that like i didn't even answer at work oh my god you're so strong (laughs) um good (laughs) self-control so Early afternoon, my husband and I sort of jumped in the car and we just drove around the corner from work. We just sat in the car and we called them and um, they started off the conversation with, okay, so we're going to tell you your levels. Now, if it's under 10, it's not a viable pregnancy. If it's over 70, uh, sorry, if it's between 10 and 100, it could go either way. And if it's over 100, it's a positive pregnancy. And I'm like, I didn't even know there was all these levels and you know, could go either way. Like I didn't know that. Because so we don't monitor that if you do it no, in a natural form. No, you wouldn't so have you a clue what's going on. It's take a test hit and miss or yeah. <laughs> So um, I was like, oh, no, like what if it's 60? Like, you know, then we're going to be waiting another week or two weeks or do we have to wait for the ultrasound at seven? So they told us that uh, our level's like 156 and I'm like, Okay, so does that mean it's positive pregnancy? I just pregnancy? burst into tears. My husband was crying and I was like, oh. so I kind of li- didn't really listen to the rest of the conversation. <laughs> so I hung up the phone and I, I sort of said to him, I've forgotten what we do. What do we do now? Like, what's the next step? And he's like, I think we might have to call them back. So I'm like, I'm, like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> we um, called them back and then, yeah, from then on, it is weekly like blood tests and ultrasounds just to make sure that everything's tracking or sorry, blood tests. And then we do an ultrasound at seven weeks with the fertility clinic. And yeah, we saw the heartbeat at seven weeks. So that was pretty, pretty special. Yeah. From there, we got transferred back down to a local, um, we could be transferred anywhere. So we decided because we had private health for IVF and because it was just an IVF baby, I was like, I feel more comfortable having a private OB. So we got transferred down back down to Bunbury with a private OB and yeah, we had, I had a really, really good pregnancy. So I was so, so lucky. I was sick. Um, I think I was sick multiple times a day for 16 weeks. Mm, yeah. Um, that horrible first but trimester. But I didn't care. Yeah. I was like, you know, it took us two and a half, three years to get here and so it was, I don't care. Oh, wow. So in total, it <laughs> in was total, two- it was about two and a half years. I think we started at the beginning of 2015 and we fell pregnant the middle of 2017, I think. So it does take a long time. I think people think, oh, you just, that's it, you go in, run round, which we did. We only had one round. So people are like, oh, it was so quick. But it was the months of testing and cycle assessments and blood tests and ultrasounds and tracking follicles and a surgery. And, and then I decided to have spinal surgery in between all that. Spinal <laughs> surgery? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Which is totally unrelated, but. Did you throw think, that into the mix? So did you think that would maybe have a, like an impact on your pregnancy? Yeah, I did. So that was kind of the other reason why we slowed down on the IVF front because I thought, am I going to even be able to carry a baby with this? So I sort of spoke to my gynecologist. He said to speak to your spinal surgeon. So I sort of called him and he wrote me a 
sort of an email and basically said, yeah, like you're fine. You know, once we've done the surgery, you've done your healing, you've done your few months rehab. Um, I don't see why there's any reason to not have a baby, to carry a baby. And I'm like, okay, we're doing it. <laughs> so, so exciting. So I think, yeah, with all of that, it was about two and a half years. Yep. So yeah, it got, is a, it's a long time when you want to have a baby and you yeah, want to have it now. Like I know personally many, many friends that have gone through round after round after round and years of unexplained infertility and, you know, miscarriages stuff. And I'm, my heart hurts for them because, you know, two and a half years was long enough for us and we didn't have to go through all of that heartbreak. So we were really lucky. So yeah, 16 weeks of vomiting. I didn't care. <laughs> I was like, yeah. It is what it is. Like I have another friend who um, also had, had gone through lots and lots of rounds of IVF and for her that vomiting was a sign that the baby was still there yep. and she had this different That's kind of connection. Same as me. I was like, I don't care. It means that I've still got a baby in there. Like, you know. <laughs> and so when your doc- when the um, clinic rang and said what your levels were, did mm-hmm. she say you're pregnant? Yeah, I think she said – what I can't remember. I think she said – Anything over 100 is a positive pregnancy. And I'm like, okay. And she goes, and your levels are 156. And I'm like, she's like, congratulations. And I'm like, oh, my God. It's like I'm still getting goosebumps now thinking about it because it was, yeah, it was really, really special. Um, and we were really funny because all of our family knew that that was the day we were going to find out. So we had to go home and pretend like we we were just very stone cold. Like we were like. We're not, giving it, we're not giving this away because we'd planned to have tell all of our family at the same time that night. And we drove from Bunbury to Bustleton with my mother-in-law and she honestly thought that it didn't work because oh. we were that good. <laughs> but could you imagine if then you told the whole family it didn't work? Oh, oh yeah. that would have been devastating. It would have been hard, but we were like, we just needed to tell everyone at the same time, get it out there. So, yeah. you know, they were there sort of cheering us on from the sidelines. So we thought... We're just going to tell everybody. Yes. <laughs> so Why we, not? So we had like my dad on FaceTime. We had my brother on um, uh, loudspeaker. We had, I think, my sister and my mum. I think my nan was there. Like we had everybody. Um, I think my father-in-law was on speaker. So like, yeah. And then we told them. And yeah, there was lots of tears. <laughs> but um, yeah, my mother-in-law, she was even more emotional because she's like, I'm so, I so thought it hadn't worked because you guys played it so cool. So I was like, okay, we did good. Yeah. Back to the um, the start where you were talking about with your, your period and, and the debilitating pain that you had from it. It's so common for us to have in, in all sorts of different um, illnesses that we might have in the body for us to hold that and get used to it and make mm-hmm. it our norm when it doesn't need to be the norm. Yep. And the fact that you had such a severe endometriosis and yeah, sort of I was just, just trying to push through it all. I think because I've gone through life with my mum being so strong, like she's gone through so much. And I was like, you know, it's a period pain. Get over it. Like why are you being such a wuss about this? And the older I got, the worse it got, which is what happens. Um, so it got to the end of high school and I was calling mum and saying, can you just come and get me? And she's like, yep, okay. So off to the school, she came and got me and we went home. And then so early in my early 20s, I'd have days off work. Um, my husband would come home and I'd be on the tiles in the fetal position in the kitchen just crying because I was just in so much pain. And I was like, I'm just a wuss. Like, this, oh. Because I just thought this 
everyone, you know, half the you know of the world's population has a period. Get over it. Um, yeah. And it wasn't until my surgeon came out and he said, "You have one of the most severe cases he's ever seen." And I was like, "Okay." Explains a lot. Explains, you know, and I was like, so then that sort of set me up for like my first labor. I'm like, I can do this without any drugs because I can, I'm strong. Do you find yourself constantly reaching for sugary foods? It's no secret that eating too much sugar can wreak havoc on your gut health. Not only does it feed bad gut bacteria, but it can also cause inflammation and damage to the gut lining. Fatika Co's Gut Health Protocol is here to help. Our simple four-week reset program is designed to remove triggers and unwanted microbes, supporting you through your sugar hangover and repairing the gut. So why wait? Start feeling better today with Fatika Co's Gut Health Protocol. So let's go into that then. How was it after you got through that first um, trimester and the nausea, how was the rest of the pregnancy? Yeah, great. I love being pregnant. I love being pregnant with all three, which is people like, you're crazy. I'm like, I just, you let it all hang out. (laughs) You don't care. Um, Yeah, we had a really straightforward, great pregnancy. Um, And leaning into the birth, did you do sort of any um, classes or We did. So we went through a private hospital for our first because we had the private OB, we had the private health there. So we went sort of down that route. And I booked in for their antenatal class um, and they called me the day before and they're like, no one else is registered. <laughs> it's just you and your husband. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, so it's going to be called off. And she said, so if you just want to come in and we can just do a one-on-one. And I was like, cool. Very good. We can do that. And normally, you know, the classes take hours. So we were, because it was just us, we got it done in like an hour, I think. So we asked all the questions we wanted to ask. I think because we'd wanted a baby for so long like I've always I've always been the mum of the group I've been called the mum of the group I've done a lot of babysitting so I think going into it I'd done a lot of research but after having my second and third I know that I didn't do enough (laughs) like there was definitely more I could have done um so you know I sort of did the the things you hear about sort of leading up to birth I was you know, from 37 weeks, I was hand expressing, I was curb walking, I was, you know, chilly food and full driving, you know, they, they say all those things. But yeah, bub decided that they were nice and comfy in there. <laughs> so we got to 40 weeks and I had my scan with my OB and she said, bub's looking pretty big. And I was like, oh, okay, I don't care. I'm still going to go. Like I want to go natural. And, and also like, it's very hard to determine how big Bub's real size is from a scan from a bedside scan as yep. well. Crazy. Yep. But they still like to use oh, it. Oh, they still don't love they? to use it. It's looking it. very big. I'm not sure you're going to be able to do and that. And I've had two totally different scans with my two, my, my first and my second. Then, like, my first was telling me that they were really big. My second was telling me that they were really small and they were totally off. <laughs> so, at 40 weeks, um, my OB was saying that Bub was looking like it was about a 10 pound baby. I was like, Oh, well, I'm tall. You know, my husband's big. You know, he's six foot two. So I was like, I can do this. I can have a baby. I can (laughs) push out a 10 pound. A 10 pound baby. Sounds big, but I can do do it. it. Good job. (laughs) So I was seeing her every few days from 40 weeks and she offered me stretch and sweeps, which I took. And at 40 weeks, she sort of said, okay, let's sort of talk about induction. And I was like, okay, let's, we're not doing it at 40 weeks. I know that for a fact. We nearly got to 41 weeks and she said, okay. I will allow you to go to 42 weeks, she said, but protocol, I 
can't induce you on a Sunday, which was my 42 weeks. <laughs> so I was like, let's go 41 and 5. And then she's like, okay, baby, you'll be born on Friday the 13th. And I was like, maybe not. <laughs> so she's like, I'm not going to see you for induction. She said, you're three centimetres. She said, like, you're thinning out. I won't see you. I was like, well, let's just book us in for 10 days over. So we booked – I booked my induction in for 41 and 3, thinking every day I was like, this is the day going to go into labor and it just didn't happen <laughs> so. and it's so hard I remember like in that time leading up going. to when you're due or your due date or your whatever <laughs> they, yes. they give you that the guest that date. date the guest date the guest date um and you're thinking you're, you're looking at is this a sign is that a sign and yeah. everything that you read is like it could be a sign it might mean it's happening Especially in the next few baby, hours it's like yeah or it could be that it's not happening for a few weeks and you're sort like of like the Braxton Hicks you're like oh is this contractions? Because you've never had contractions before. You're like, is this it? But I'm breathing through them, but they're only lasting for 10 seconds. And every time I lay down, they go away or stand up, they go away. So those things, and then you lose your mucus plug. You're like, this is it. No. But no. <laughs> that can be it weeks. might not be. <laughs> it can be weeks before you have baby. Um, so, yeah, we got to 41 and 3 and walked into the hospital at 7 a.m. with all my bags. <laughs> and I remember my midwife who – was the most amazing midwife. Um, she was actually my midwife for number three, which I was really, really lucky with. She was, so she went from St. John's over to the MGP oh. program. So I was so lucky. Oh, but she was incredible. So she hooked me up to the CTG. We tracked baby's movements. No contractions, nothing. Um, so my doctor came in probably about an hour later and she said, yep, you're four centimetres. Your waters are right there. I'm just going to break your waters. And I'm like, Perfect. This is exactly what I wanted. If I was to be induced, I just wanted my waters to be broken. So, as in, you don't want to have the oxy. Yeah, I don't want it to be hooked up to the drip because then I know then they'll want, some people want constant monitoring if that happens, which meant I couldn't get in the bath, I couldn't get in the shower, I couldn't walk outside. Um, at a St. John's, they have a little courtyard, so you can actually go outside and get some fresh air, and you've got your own little private little sanctuary outside which is really nice I was like I'm not gonna be able to have any of that I'm gonna be stuck to a bed hooked up to a drip with the monitors on so then the next thing was my doctor said you've got an hour to get into labor and I'm like what (laughs) hey wait so she broke your waters and then told you you had an hour she said if you're not in labor in an hour we'll have to put you on the drip hang on what happened to providing the information beforehand informed consent thank you very much so there was none of that it was Water's broken. Okay, you've got an hour and I'll be back and I'll... What was her reasoning behind only putting like an hour? I don't know. And I think back then I didn't ask the questions and I didn't do all that research, which is obviously what I've gone... Since then I've gone and done. I think just on that point, it's... With every sort of health professional in in all sorts of different areas, mm-hmm. and I can only speak from a pharmacist's point of view, what I would recommend or say for one thing is very different to what another pharmacist would recommend yes. and say and, and another one they would do yes. something different. Yep. And it's not necessarily that one's right or wrong. Sometimes they clearly are. Yes. But not always. It's just we bring our own baggage and our own um, research and understanding to making mm-hmm. that decision. And so it's really just... Going, trying to work out, well, what is your reasoning? Like what's evidence or why do you want to make that suggestion? So because if my waters broke naturally, I would have been given at least 24 hours. Yes. So how is this any different? Like I know you're, it's an artificial rupture of the membranes, but if baby's happy, if I'm happy, why kind of mm-hmm. thing? It was, that was hard to get my head around. So 
Do you know now or still never? It's an unknown. I have an inkling because just from friends, from being now immersed in that birth world, I know that private hospitals, you put on a time crunch. You sort of, you're given a particular time, whether it's from waters breaking, from um, being put on the drip, pushing, you kind of put on that time crunch. And I'm thinking that's just what it was. Like my doctor was in and out. She had, she had other somewhere to, to go. Do. She had surgery to do. Like she was a great obstetrician, but when it came to that on that day, I was kind of like, ah, like, mm. just let me be. Yeah. <laughs> like, so my, as I said, my midwife was amazing. So she dimmed the lights. She said, go outside and sit on the football, um, move around the room, do whatever you feel comfortable doing, go for a big walk. So we went for a huge walk. Um, around the hospital. We did stair climbs. Yeah, I'm going for a two-hour walk. We got lost. <laughs> She's like, just come back every 15 minutes so I can check Bob. And I was like, okay. Um, but, you know, because my waters had broken as well, so I'm walking around with, like, this big pad down all the corridors. And, like, so we went out to the garden and we did some stair climbs and some curb walking. And every 15 minutes we'd come back in and nothing. And I was going to say, how much can you really let it go in when you're – on and a, that yeah, type, like, time frame. Now that I've learned, your whole body then tenses up. It's not going to release. Like, and you go, oh, not- 15 minutes, got to go back. Yep. And you're stressing that you're reaching closer to that hour. Yep. So it got to, yeah, we were nearly at the hour and my midwife said to me, I'm going to go get the drip ready. And I was like, no. <laughs> she knew that I just needed to be left alone and needed my body needed to release. So she left. She was gone for a very long time. <laughs> Because by the time she came back in, I'd had three contractions because my body had just went, fine, okay, whatever. I don't even care anymore. <laughs> like, hook me up. I'm just going to be stuck to a bed. Like, um, So she came back in, which felt like forever. And she's like, is anything happening in here? And I was like, I've had three contractions. She's like, oh, have you? <laughs> so she knew. She knew. She knew so that good. my body was just so tense because I was worried about that time frame. Um, oh, midwives are fabulous, oh, aren't they? <laughs> they're incredible. They're incredible. So, yeah, I got put back on the monitor and I was having consistent contractions. So she's like, we're all good to go. You can have a baby. And I'm like, yay. Once the contractions hit, because I'd had an ARM, they were pretty consistent. They were sort of minute on, minute off from the start, um, which obviously in a normal labour they sort of ramp up, whereas – it was bang, like. Oh, so even just with the, having just the rupture. With an ARM, yeah. Mm, and yeah. I've, I thought that that was the case, but because my second was ARM, my third was natural, it definitely is so different. Ah, okay. So you different. Felt it. Yeah. Um, I think because baby was so comfy in there and it's like, hang on a second, now I'm coming out. Like, what's going on? What happened to you my You really see my waters. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I was sitting on the fitball for quite a while and then my midwife suggested, do you want to hop in the bath? And I'm like, yes, please put me in the bath. Um, she said, well, it's going to take a while to fill. And I'm like, I'll sit in it empty. I don't care. So she gave me the handheld shower, the nozzle. And she, like, I was just doing that over my belly while the bath filled, which was so good. Um, that's such a good idea. Yeah. So yeah. while the bath was filling, I was just in it. And she had the bath running and the shower. And so I was just putting that over my belly. And you still create a little cave yep. for yourself. So yep. The lights full. were off. We had my music playing. Uh, my sister was there. My husband was there. And she sort of just, my midwife came and went. She sort of, she knew when we just need to be left alone. And then my sister was the same um, because her and I are very similar. We're not allowed to play Pictionary together because 
we know each other very, very well. I was thinking you just said like you're too competitive or it's just that you read each other's mind. Yeah, we read each other's mind. So she kind of knew exactly when I wanted to be touched, when I wanted to be left alone. So, yeah, we left alone for quite a while. And then I think a few hours in, I said to my midwife, I was like, I need to go to the toilet. She's like, oh, that's a really good sign. I was like, okay, so her and like as in you needed to poo yes. or wee? Okay, yeah. poo. Yeah, I think yeah, both, pressure. but I was like, it's okay. just pressure. Yeah. So she's like, okay, we'll get you out of the bath and we'll sit you on the toilet. And as soon as I sat on the toilet, I was like screaming <laughs> for something. I was like, I don't think I was screaming. I was think I was just like, get me something now. Like I can't do this. And she's like, okay, like, you know, you wanted to go natural. And I was like, I don't care. <laughs> it's like, get me something. And she's like, okay, I'll go and get the gas in there. And so she sort of like dawdled off thinking that at that moment I didn't know, but I was in transition. I was going to say it was a transition. Because I started crying. I was doubting myself. Um, so she sort of left and came back with the gas in there. I'm like, give it to me. <laughs> so I had the gas in there and I was like, I want to go back in the bath. And she's like, you can't. And I was like, no, I just want to get back in the bath. Why? Because... Because I was in transition, she was worried that I was going to have a baby oh, very, you're very push. soon. Okay. And you're not allowed a water birth at St. John's. Ah, uh, gotcha. So if I was to get back in the bath, I don't think I would have gotten out. Right. And you would have had the baby in, in the, the water. Bath. Yeah. That's so interesting because <sighs> so it also depends on who you have because I know with mine, same thing. The midwife, she was absolutely fabulous, but she wasn't comfortable with doing the delivery in the bath but I was allowed to do it in the shower and I was like that's fine I'll take it because it's yeah. water that's fine that's but St John's here well in Bunbury I don't know if it's all St John's but they do not allow water births it's just at all a rule. right so she's like let's go put you on the bed and we'll get you in a good position and you know she said do you want to be checked and I was like yep check me and I think it was eight to nine centimeters so definitely transition um, very close. It's all a bit blurry, but I think my doctor walked in as I was getting checked and she sort of walked in and she said, how are you going? And I was like, like, I'm struggling. Like, I don't think I can do this. You know, all that doubt creeps in. And she said, well, if you want your morphine injection, you have to have it now. And I'm like, okay, I didn't want that. But I think in that moment I was so weak. I was like, Give it to me. I was going to say that doctor sort of took advantage of the situation. But maybe so, not, not intentionally, but I it's very bad Because I, I really like that doctor. Um, and still, if people need an OB, like, it's hard because I send, her, send them to them to her. But I think if I'd done all my research and if, like, my husband now would be like, no, she's not having it. Like, she's fine <laughs> because that's not what she wants. You just need the support to say you can do this yes. and you're nearly there. And that's why I think people definitely have doulas because they're that voice of reason they're mm. the people that are like no you didn't want this like we're sending him out of the room now <laughs> like off you go yeah goodbye <laughs> and so was it just a morphine injection it wasn't epi or anything no just a morphine injection i think it was in my leg from memory mm. i know it hurt but i think it was in my leg i do definitely regret that not that i wanted you know this all natural birth and i wanted to do it without drugs and all the rest of it but it made my birth really cloudy so well not my birth straight after like I was kind of like in a bit of a daze. Which as soon as it went in, yeah. Well, no, as soon as Bub was born. So it oh. doesn't take effect straight away. So they're worried that if you do it too close, it affects baby. Yeah. Um, and if you do it too far away, it doesn't have any effect. So they're like, you need to do it now. But I think I then dilated really quickly and I was ready to push. So Bub came out fine. Like I, I think I was up on my knees over the back of the bed and 
because I was like, I don't want to be on my back, especially having spinal surgery. I'm like, I don't want to be on my back. I want to be up, whether standing or kneeling. So I was up on the back of the bed and I birthed him. Well, at the time we didn't know it was a him. Birthed him on my knees and they sort of, um, my midwife, she sort of scooped him up, pushed him through. I put him on my chest and rolled over and Aww. my husband got to check first and, yeah, it was a boy. So <laughs> we were so happy, like lots of tears. My sister was crying. My husband was crying. I was crying. And I was like, we waited so long for you. Like it was really, really special. He was on my chest for a while. We got delayed cord clamping. Oh, beautiful. Um, I birthed the placenta naturally so I had physiological third stage and we got to like they were showing us the placenta my sister took photos of it and then I actually got it encapsulated I did that for all three pregnancies um, so that was pretty cool as well but the morphine definitely affected me once bub was here so I was trying to breastfeed and like I've got pretty big boobs so it's a bit difficult especially when you're sort of laying back in the bed so I was trying to breastfeed and, like, my husband was calling our family and I was getting stitched up at the time. Like, it was all happening. Yeah. Um, and you're in, like, a bit I of a I had a second-degree and... tear, which the morphine helped for that. Oh, well, that's good then. <laughs> at least something paid off from that. Um, I, yeah, I just remember being in such a daze. Like, I was kind of – my voice sounded deep and I was sl- talking slowly or I felt like I was talking slowly and I sort of couldn't position bub properly and – Yes, yeah, so I was. I was really annoyed about that. Did um, you get any nausea from it? No, no. I was really lucky. I felt a bit woozy with the gas and air, but those first few puffs were a bit like woo. Okay. Um, but after that, I was fine, and it didn't take long to sort of exit my body. And Bub was totally fine. I think because it affected me after, it didn't affect Bub at all. So he was happy and healthy, yeah. and yeah. and my big baby, eight pounds seven. Oh my 10 god! Ten days over. <laughs> so. Not big baby. <laughs> Eight he was pounds. pretty long. He was oh 55 centimetres, but yeah. he was eight seven. Oh, that's crazy. It just shows. Like how often are they actually right with that? I mean, anyone could so guess that. So measuring 10 pounds at 40 weeks and he was, yeah, 10 days over and if you say seven. If you're going to say you've got a big baby, if you say it enough, one of them will eventually be a big baby, but not because yeah. the, yeah, that's exactly the right. ultrasound. No, no, that's exactly right. So, um, yeah, he got taken off all of his checks done. So we got a lot of skin to skin. I think I was, yeah, I think I breast, well, you know, we attempted the first little breastfeed there and then he got taken off. Husband stayed with him the whole time. He was like, I'm not letting him out of my sight kind of thing. He was like just standing over the top of him. Once I got stitched up and all cleared and everything, so, and I was feeling better, they, my midwife, so amazing. They helped, she helped me to the shower. She basically like carried me to the shower. She's like, you'll feel so much better here's a chair, like, here's this, don't worry, your hubby's out there with Bub, they're having skin to skin. So he got skin to skin with him, which was pretty special. And then, yeah, we were moved down to recovery and oh, that so was lovely. Yeah, we, the good thing about private hospital is we did both get to stay there together and we stayed there for four nights at the end, I think, which I didn't need, but it was a bit, of, a bit like a hotel. Yeah. <laughs> you, you got to worry about what's coming in. They, you know. The tea and coffee cart came around with Vickies. They special. do have a pretty nice setup in Bustleton Hospital for first time yeah, as well, where I you have, have a double that. bed. Yeah. yeah. But how good is that first meal that you have? Oh, so good. So good. And it was really funny because we knew um, the lady that was coming around to deliver the meals. She kind of knocked at the door and she like put it in the door. And I'm like, 
is that you, Yvonne? And she's like, yes. I'm like, do you want to come meet the baby? <laughs> so, so excited. She comes in and meets the baby. I was like, you're the first person <laughs> other than family. <laughs> so that was pretty special. Yeah. And but, so yeah. for the listeners, um, uh, Billy touched on saying that she had the natural physiological third stage, yes. um, which is normally, so the third stage is when you're delivering the placenta. And if you don't do it naturally, they normally would give you an injection into the leg. I was really lucky. I started contracting pretty much straight away. I think once oh. Watson was out, I think once he got on my chest and all the hormones kick in, the you know, all the love drug and everything, I think that was like, okay. My body is ready to push the placenta yeah. out now. Um, but that was without having any injection, nothing. no drugs needed. Nothing. So, no. So yeah. they, yeah, they gave me space and time to do it naturally. Yeah. And I think it took maybe half an hour, mm. but I was getting that little contractions here and there because I think people forget that you actually have to birth a placenta yeah. as well afterwards. That's got to cut out. <laughs> it's got to come out yeah. somehow. And you do have and to. it doesn't just, sometimes it does, but yeah. it doesn't normally just slide Slip out. out. You do get the contractions back, not as intense. And I think because bubs on you usually, you get that like, okay, I don't care. Like I've got my baby. Focus on your baby. Yeah. <laughs> you're focusing on your baby, you're focusing on trying to breastfeed, which obviously is then contracting uterus as well. Um, and I, yeah, I think. I birthed the placenta, yeah, in half an hour and didn't, so didn't need the injection at all. So so you usually just need to have that conversation mm. with your doctors mm. prior to to say, and you might have to negotiate sometimes a time yes. frame, like are you going to give it up to an hour or yep. whatever, and if it and doesn't deliver then I think doing it. that I didn't really have a plan to birth a placenta. I think I just sort of went with it. Mm. But with my second and third, I definitely had that in place with, okay, I'll give myself, you know, an hour. I know I can do it. Mm-hmm. I know I can do it naturally, so I'll give that as well. So, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Just got to weigh up your risks and, Definitely. you know, if there was a sign that maybe you would be a bleeding risk, then they usually want to get it out yeah. quicker. Yeah, so if there's a hemorrhage, obviously they inject you straight away, get that placenta out. You know, they'll help you as well. So, obviously, the cord's hanging out, so they'll pull it as you're – tug. <laughs> tug it as you're sort of contracting and pushing as well. Yeah. So, um, but, yeah, I felt pretty confident in that. And then with my second and third, I was like – I can do this. So I sort of opted for that as well with my second and third pregnancies. So with your second pregnancy, <clears throat> you conceived naturally. Yes. So h- how? And was it just because the endo had been treated? Or? So there's no scientific research, I guess, facts about pregnancy and endometriosis. Um, I remember my uh, gynecologist up at the fertility clinic and I remember her saying, we'll never see you again. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, you probably say that to everybody. She's like, nope, I'll never see you again. And I was like, okay. Okay. So, radio. Um, and I think in the back of my head, I was like, I wanted my babies not close together, but obviously I did have them quite <laughs> close together <laughs> in the end. Um, but I was like, I don't want, you know, a four-year age gap between all of my kids. So if we had to do, go down IVF again, I wanted to start trying pretty soon because if it wasn't going to happen, I was only going to give myself six months. So then I was putting a time pressure on myself, I guess, in a way. I sort of said to my husband, let's start trying. Like as soon as I get my period back, let's start trying. And he's like, yep, let's go. We've had this amazing baby. Well, how long until you get your period back? 10 months. Okay. 11, yep. 10 or 11 months, I think. Um, Cause I was breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. I was feeding on demand. So obviously that can Obviously not. It doesn't happen. Poor these poor women that get it after like six weeks or eight weeks. Mm. Like I really feel for them. 
um, I think it was 10 or 11 months down the track and I got my, yeah, I got my period back and I was like, let's leave the first one just sort of my body can work out what it's doing because mm, <laughs> yeah. it hasn't had a period for so long. Um, and we'll try sort of the next round, the next cycle, and that didn't happen. And then our second try, our second cycle or third cycle back from having Magical. baby. So he was just one <laughs> and we found out we were pregnant and I was in complete denial, complete denial. So I was not in the fact that I was like, I don't want this baby, like, oh, my God. I think I was the fact that it was never going to happen this easy and I was trying to feed Watson and he was screaming at the boob, screaming. And I was like, something's wrong. He's sick, like firstborn babies. It's like, like something's wrong. We need to take him to the hospital. And my husband's like, he's just crying. I'm, nothing would soothe him. So I was, I was in the shower with him. I was in the bath. We were like, I had him on the boob the whole time. He was getting on the boob and pulling away. And I'm like, he's got an ear infection because he wouldn't feed. Did you just not like the taste? So I pumped and I was like, my milk's blue. And I was like. Isn't it interesting, oh, the colour changes of your milk? It's so crazy. Your hormonal changes oh. is insane. I was like, it's blue. And I was like, oh, it's because, you know, I've only just got my period back. My hormones are all settling. It is what it is. And I remember sending the photo of my milk to a girlfriend of mine who's also a nurse. And she's like, you're pregnant. And I was like, no, I'm not. She's like, yeah, you are. And I'm like, no, definitely not. So you hadn't done a pregnancy no, test? No, I hadn't done a pregnancy test. So we took him to the hospital that night. <laughs> Because he was just, he was such a placid, calm baby. And for him to just be screaming for hours, I was like, there is something wrong with him. <laughs> like, there's no temp, there's no nothing. Like, now I'm like, <laughs> if there's not a limb, like, hanging off or severe oh. blood, like, we can do with that at home. <laughs> so we took him to the hospital and my nurse was like, he's fine. There's nothing wrong with him. I'm like, but he won't drink his milk. And I'm like, he's boob obsessed. And she's like, could you be pregnant? And I was like, No. And she's like, are you sure? And I'm like, no, definitely not. Like he took two and a half years in the making. Like we didn't get pregnant the second go. And I was at the um, shops the next day and I was like, oh, I'll just buy a test just in case. And I was buying a present for a girlfriend's little girl. She was also one. And while they were wrapping it up, I think I went to the toilet. So I was like, I'm just going to do a test here. So another another <laughs> shopping centre pregnancy yes. test. It's the third one on this show. Maybe it's becoming a thing. Oh, so everyone just like that seems to be the ideal place. Just do um, it in the I shopping centre. because you bought it. Like I, I just bought it. I was like, oh, I just may as well do it now. Like, Got to know. Yeah, I'm waiting for something anyway. So went into the toilets and I didn't even look at it. I sort of did it, wrapped it up in my handbag. <laughs> And just put it away. And I went and got the present and came back to the car and I was like, oh, better just better just see. And I took it out and it was too <laughs> strong as strong pink lines. And I wasn't due for my period as well. And I think that's what was like I wasn't late for my period. I wasn't even due for it. So I think that was sort of messing with me. So it was, yeah, they were there. I was like, oh, my God. So... The girlfriend who I was buying the present for her little girl, I messaged her and I was like, um, <laughs> she's like, I told you. Like, what do I do now? Like, I have to go and tell my husband. He was at work. <laughs> so I drove to his work. He's in, he was the office manager at the time. And so there was a few people in the, no, I think he may have been, luckily he may have been the only one there. And he came downstairs and I was like, 
I know why Watson's been screaming. And he's like, why? And I'm like, <laughs> and he's like, what? So he started crying. I started crying. And I was like, this just doesn't happen. Like, you know, IVF for first baby. Oh, and yeah, beautiful. we got pregnant with our second. So, Oh my gosh. And yeah, so Watson exciting. was just, yeah, he was like two weeks. He was one, two weeks before this test. So, so what happened close. then with mm. the breastfeeding? Did you end up does he, did he wean? No, no, okay. he was boob obsessed. So. Okay. And kept screaming or just got no, used to it? No, so it only took two days <clears throat> for him to be like, ah, okay, I'll adjust to this. Like it's my new norm sort of thing. So yeah, he, it only took him maybe two days to be like, ah, oh, okay, I'll keep having this funny colored, funny tasting milk. And obviously, cause, you know, all the hormone changes in your body with pregnancy. So he fed, he fed until nearly three. So yeah. I tandem fed the two boys for 13 months. Um, so he dry nursed, which was, that was a bit rough <laughs> through pregnancy. Because it was I, painful? Um, yeah, because he was kind of getting a little bit frustrated because there wasn't anything, but it was still calming him enough to settle him at nighttime. And I loved, I love breastfeeding. I love that bonding time. I love it when their eyes roll back in their head and they start to fall asleep. And um, it's a very handy so sleep tool. I just, <laughs> get them to yes. sleep or get them to settle. Especially and when then... you're tandem feeding and you don't have your husband at home. Best thing ever. Put them both on; they both start to fall asleep, and you can just roll one off one side and roll one off the other. So good. Um, so yeah, he dry nursed through pretty much my whole pregnancy. I think I lost my milk at about. 12 weeks and I didn't obviously get it back until my colostrum came in sort of late in my thirties. So he dry nursed that whole time. Do you know, is that common then? Do you, or does everybody usually lose their milk or? No, some some people still get a little bit. Um, and some people lose it from the minute their lines come up on their test. So I think everyone's a little bit different, but yeah, I definitely lost, I think there was maybe a tiny little bit there because obviously he would have been totally like I'm not. What is this? <laughs> but he never had a dummy as well, so I was kind of his dummy. <laughs> so I guess. That well, was the why. dummy is uh, modelled off of the female. There we go. So. So. <laughs> um, we are the superior. <laughs> we are. We are. <laughs> we are not like diminishing ourselves to being dummies. Everything they do. Boobs fix everything. So yeah, it wasn't until yeah thirty six, thirty seven weeks when I could hear him sort of like swallowing again. I was like, oh. I think my colostrum's coming in. <laughs> so, what did uh, did he? What did he think of that? Just so yeah, he loved it because okay. he didn't have he didn't have anything for so long, and then all of a sudden he was getting this like rich, creamy wow. goodness. I think he was kind of like, yeah. Imagine what that's doing for his oh, uh, health system, system yeah, and gut health, and wow, he put on a few kilos. I did think he? so. <laughs> Not that much because he was only feeding sort of like once a day. It was only at night time that we'd have those feeds. And at that point I was like, I'm happy to tandem because I didn't want to take it away from him because he was still so little, like he was 20 months when I had my second. To me, he was still a baby. And I was like, he's going. He's already going to be going through a massive change with this baby coming along. I'm not going to take his comfort away from him either. So I was happy to tandem, which... Mm. He was really – they were both really, really good at tandem. And he was only down to one a day. But obviously when my milk came in, he was like, let's go. Like I want it 10 times a day. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like I've got a newborn yeah. <laughs> just once a day. And that was really special because it was still my really special one-on-one bonding time with, with him at new- night time. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. And so how did you kind of work through that then managing? Mm-hmm. So 
he didn't feel funny that the other baby was getting more boob time or? I think because from the minute we came home, um, I fed him in front of him and I was like, look, we're going to share, like, you know, mum's going to share her milk or you're going to share your milk with your baby. And he was quite fascinated with his baby. He's like, oh, okay. Like, you know, he didn't really communicate. He's only 20 months old, but he was like, oh. And then straight after I was like, look, you still get it. Okay. And so, because we were in the hospital for, I think, two days when I had my second. So when I came home, yeah, I fed in front of him and then I was like, okay, now you get your milk as well. So mum's not taking it away from you. So he, yeah, he was pretty happy. He was like, oh, yeah, cool. And then they did, I think it was that night I did my first tandem, like newborn on one side and him on the other. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) I've done it. (laughs) What was that like? It was pretty amazing. Like I've got some really cool photos that my husband took and my friends have taken me feeding both the boys. Was he trying to like touch the baby no, at the same time? No, because I did the footy holds. So okay. like I had one one side and one the other because I was like I couldn't sort of do it on top of each other. Mm. But there was a, definitely the longer it went and the older my youngest got, he would like stroke his hair and they'd hold hands, and which was really special. Towards the end I didn't do a lot of tandem, but there was nights where my husband was like at football training and I was like, I need to get them both to sleep. <laughs> How am I going to do that? You can't tell a 20-month-old, sit there, wait for mum. I'm just going to go off into the bedroom and feed your brother for an hour. <laughs> like, you just can't. Mm. So it came in really, really handy. So I could feed both and they'd both fall asleep. And I'd sort of, um, like I was on my bed and I'd sort of roll my toddler off. And then I'd pick up my newborn and go and take him into his bed and put him in his bassinet and then transfer my toddler. So. <gasps> So I was. I felt like I was winning at that point. I was like, "Yes, like I've done it. I've got Do both this. my kids to sleep." But um, I think yeah, it's really, cool. really lovely to hear that because you we probably don't hear enough of that of how you can do it. You can yeah. by feeding and getting to sleep and working with both of them and just using your best asset, yes, literally, literally, <laughs> to get your children to sleep and make them feel comfortable. And it's yeah. not a bad thing. We we There is a big story out there that feeding your child to sleep and, and giving them boob for comfort and comfort feeding and all of that is a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Nope. Not a bad thing not. at all. This is We were made to do this. And yeah. especially, you know, when, as I said before, that the eyes rolling in the back of the head and their eyes closing and they fall asleep, that's that big boost of melatonin that you're giving them naturally. To put them to sleep. Yeah, so good. And it's like, you know, people are very against, you know, feeding on demand and um, it's, yeah, it's crazy. It is. So I just, I boob wherever, whenever I don't care. Love it. So <laughs> In good. front of people, yep. at the football club. Whatever. The first few times I was like, uh, my husband's friends are probably like, uh. Like they're all younger as well. Uh, like none of them had partners at the time. Like no one had babies. And I was just like, eh. You're setting the standard. I don't care. It's a good standard to I set. Care. This is the norm, people. Yeah. <laughs> and I think because I had a very – my close girlfriends in, up in Bunbury, you know, they most of them have all breastfed and extended breastfeeding as well. So I was just surrounded by it. Uh, and our husbands were surrounded by it. Mm. And our partners were surrounded by it. And I think it just wasn't a weird thing, especially for my husband. He's like, go for it. He's done a breastfeeding study with me before, like um, – he sees the benefits in it. He sees, you know, how relaxed and chilled your babies can be after and yeah. get them to sleep like that sometimes, which is so good. 
Yeah, people pay a but, lot of money when they're ordered to try to go to sleep comfort, like that. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, exactly, exactly. So especially I think when they get older, there's definitely a stigma against breastfeeding toddlers and my son was nearly three when he weaned and he could have kept going I did wean him um was it challenging no okay no. so think, he was ready yeah I think he was ready I was ready I was very touched out by that stage because my um second son he was we had a few issues with him so he just wanted to be on the boob 24 7 and I so by that stage I was like I just one less set of hands on me and <laughs> one 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 less thing like I was very very touched out so we got to a point and we sort of talked about it for a while we got down to like every second night and then every third night and then I just give him a cuddle or well, my husband had just cuddle up with him and he was fine so I think he was definitely ready but he was nearly three when he weaned um towards the end I probably wouldn't feed in public with him I think because I didn't care, but I think other people were like, this is a bit weird. And I think because I had another baby as well, they were probably like, people think that I, you know, when you're feeding two babies as well, you're taking milk away from the other child, oh. which is not the case, obviously. Yeah. I all. never even thought but about I think that. But people yeah. think, oh, but your toddler's getting all this milk. And what about your newborn? I was like, he's totally fine. <laughs> he's all good. Trust me. He's You'll let me know. Totally fine. <laughs> Our boobs are amazing. Yeah, they just because they go off of what the demand is. Yeah, they're saliva. So, and that was the other thing when I was feeding those first few days after my second son was born. um, My newborn was getting colostrum and my toddler was getting milk. Hang on, which is crazy. How? Because their saliva tells your milk ducts what to give them. (gasps) So, yeah, my mind is blown. (laughs) It's crazy. It is crazy. So. And I didn't think it was possible, but I pumped straight after both of them and I was getting, yeah, like the yellow liquid gold out of one and I was getting milk out of the other. I had no idea. Yeah. That's insane. It's like when they get sick. So oh, yeah. So I know that one. That's good. Their saliva tells you milk ducks, give them more of this, give them more of that. The sleepy ones, so when you're getting tired and you're it's nighttime, it's giving a melatonin. It's amazing. Crazy. The immune one, I think, is just oh, yeah. so interesting that so, it just tells your body, okay, we're getting this And the sort of older the illness. baby gets, it doesn't matter because people think, oh, once you hit 12 months, it's not doing anything for them. Uh-huh. It is. There's been big studies done about it that, you know, no matter how old your child is, if they're sick or if something's happened, then your body is producing the right nutrients for that baby and it's still giving them like tens of thousands of you know, nutrients to them, which is mm. insane. It's crazy. It's such a shame that there is that stigma going out in public and feeding at, at toddler ages and to make anyone feel uncomfortable, it's sad. Yeah, it is. We shouldn't, you know, we should be able to do what we want. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But it definitely helped with the um, terrible twos. <laughs> they, they were, boobs are great for terrible twos. <laughs> Yeah, the we're starting those already. <laughs> the tantrums, you're just like, okay, come into the room. Boom. We're all good now. Relax. We're Relax. all good. Yeah. Off you go. <laughs> so I do want to talk, though, about your second pregnancy. You told me that you were diagnosed with gestational diabetes during yes. your sec- second one. So you mm-hmm. didn't get it with your first one. No. And you also didn't get it with your third no. one. Very just interesting. So when were you diagnosed 
with the gestational diabetes? I can't remember when the GD test is. I think it's towards the end of your second trimester, no, early third. I feel third. like it's somewhere around 20 to 20, late 20. I think it's like late 20s. 20s. Yeah, mm. I think it's late 20s. So I just went off to do it like I did with my first and I was, wasn't thinking anything of it. And at that stage I was planning a home birth. Okay. So that threw a spanner in the works as well. So I was planning a home birth with my second with the MGP program. And so I just wasn't ex- – I was like, oh, I had this great pregnancy for my first – you know, cancelled my private health. I'm like, I don't need that anymore. I'm having a home birth. Like I'm having this beautiful home water birth, you know, with my family and, you know, all the things you wish for. And yeah, I got a phone call from my midwife from my, and it was, this is what's amazing about MGP. I think she called me at like 6.30 at night, which no doctors are going to do that. (laughs) Um, So I think, yeah, she called me and she said, oh, have you heard from the your GP and I'm like no and she said you've got GD and I'm like what and she said look there's what we do first is we do the diet controlled um, method and we see if it's something in your diet and if we can control it then you may still be cleared for a home birth but if you're on insulin home birth is taken off the table (sighs) so I was like okay did you how do you feel here I had a bit of a cry yeah I sort of let it out we were actually right in the middle of doing our positive birth program, the hypnobirthing classes through the hospital. And if I wasn't doing that, I think I would have totally been derailed. But the fact is they give you so many tools and, um, you know, things that are thrown your way, you sort of know how to deal with. So I went into it and I was like, you know what, even if I have to have a hospital birth, it's going to be beautiful. And you still do a beautiful hospital, (laughs) as little intervention as possible if you have the right structure in place. Yeah. So I, yeah, I went into the, with the mindset that, okay, if it is insulin and if we can't have a home birth, then I'm going to make a hospital birth as beautiful as I can. Um, So I went, got sent through to the diabetes educator at the hospital. They're fantastic. They're so informative. They give you sort of all the tools you can they give you like a food map and you have to have a food diary for a week and you send that in every day and you have to check your levels i think it's four times a day you're checking you're pricking your finger and checking your levels your blood sugar levels and my three during the day were always fine i could pretty much control all of those it was my fasting which was my morning one that was always my issue and she's like, I went back after a week and my diabetes educator said, it's not diet. Like, it's just your body. It's your placenta. It's like your pancreas in the end. So you have to be on insulin. And I was like, no. <laughs> so I got put on insulin. And I think I was having 12 units a day, which isn't a massive, from what I've heard, it's not a huge dose. I think they sort of, they start you at six from memory and they increase every two doses every day until your fasting is under five, I think it is. So I still followed the diet as well because I was like, you know what, if I'm doing it, I might as well be as healthy and as prepared as possible. During birth, I was checked as well, which kind of sucked. Like I was, you know, in Mm. the middle of contraction over the pool Mm. and they were like pricking my finger, which kind of sucked. Yeah, you don't really (laughs) want to be touched sometimes. Um, But there was no real explanation for why. No, And often there's not. No, and sometimes it just, that, that was sort of what, the diabetes educator said she said it just happens sometimes Mm. she said some women are on 56 units like massive amounts or 60 units or 
I was on 12. So I knew that I was on a really, really low dose. So I kind of took that as a positive and I went, you know what? If I'm only on a really low dose, Sorry, I think I can get this beautiful, positive birth experience out of it, which I still did. So I was really, really lucky. And I still continued with the hypnobirthing classes because I was still at that point planning on a water birth. And everyone kept telling me, you're never going to get a water birth. You're going to be induced. You're going to be medically induced. And you're just not going to get it. So Because often with GD, you have to be induced, induced at 38, 38 weeks is mm. usually the time. So I went to my GP and he said, home birth, definitely off the table. He said, water birth is probably off the table. He said, you'll need a medical induction at 38 weeks. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So I went to my first high-risk clinic appointment. I'll say high risk. I was going to say, what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't I'll like say, that terminology. I'll say high risk. <laughs> um, yeah. So I went to my first appointment at the hospital and I was really lucky enough to have one of my MGP midwives with me. Um, so Tiff, who you've had on the show, she came with me and we sort of talked about like before we went into this appointment, she was like, what do you want from this? And I'm like, I don't want 38 weeks. I don't want to be medically induced. And she's like, okay. Let's try to get you to where you want to be. And I was like, okay. So we went in there and I was so lucky that I got a doctor that had actually, he was my gynecologist with my first. So he was the one that started our whole IVF procedure like oh, wow. process. So we went in and he's like, I know you guys. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, this is what you helped us create. And this one's natural. And he's like, wow, like that's really cool. And he sort of looked at my notes and he looked at what I wanted and I said, look, home birth has been taken off the table for me. So I really, really, really want a water birth. And he's like, okay, what units are you on? I was like, 12 units. And he's like, that's pretty low. And he said, and you're keeping, you know, up to date with all your appointments with the diabetes educator. And I was like, yep, doing everything that they're telling me to do. Um, and he said, oh, yeah, 38 weeks is normally the induction date. And I was like, Why? Good on you. Ask the why. Why? And he said, um, "There's a high chance of stillbirth, which is not very huge." And from now, like now that I know that these studies have only been done on very, there's they've only been very small studies done on this, but there is a higher chance of stillbirth with a gestational diabetes mum. So I was like, okay, now he's trying to scare me. So I was like, okay, what if we push to? Can we push to? any later than 38 weeks and he's like oh yeah 38 weeks is the day before christmas and i'm like nope i won't come in <laughs> i just won't rock up to my appointment i'm just not coming into the hospital so he said okay um why don't we do 39 weeks i'm i'm comfortable with 39 weeks and i'm like yep i can do 39 weeks at that point i was like okay i've been given a week like i can make this work and he said you have to come in every two days to the mgp clinic on the monitor just to make sure bub's still moving and you know any sign of you know blood non-movements anything that you feel is not right straight away come into the hospital I'm like yep i would have done anyway um so once he said that from 37 weeks i think i was like because i was already feeding i was still feeding watson my firstborn i was i was like okay i'm i'm pumping because i was like Get. You don't need to worry about that anymore. Once you're like, I'm already breastfeeding. I was like, I'm pumping to try and get my uterus contracting. Um, I went and did 
acupuncture, we did acupressure, I had clary sage, raspberry leaf tea, evening primrose oil, fitball bouncing, everything I could think of. I was like, I'm getting myself <laughs> into labour naturally before 39 weeks and sort of again with the first 39 weeks rolled around and I was still pregnant. But my midwife had checked me just the day before and she's like, you're three centimetres. And I was like, yes, that means I should be able to have an ARM. So same as my first, so artificial rupture of the membrane. So she said, you don't need to come in tonight to have the balloon catheter put in. Um, You know, you can just come in tomorrow and we should be able to break your waters. And I'm like, yes, something obviously worked or a combination of all of those things. I did have stretch and sweeps done while I was having my CTG monitoring as well. I'm oh. like two birds, one stone. Yeah. Let's do this. <laughs> Good on um, so I think it, maybe it was a combination of everything. I don't really know, but we came in sort of same as the first rocked up to hospital. So I've never actually known what it's like to go to hospital in labor. Cause I've never had that. Ah, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah. Sort of same as the first time we rocked up my, midwife so because I was in the MGP program I had that um, continuity of care which was it's invaluable every woman should be able to access Mm. something like the MGP program or a private midwife because it is a it changes things dramatically with nearly every other illness and and, first of all pregnancy birth is not an illness but with (laughs) obviously um, but with every other kind of medical condition Mm -hmm. you do have continuity of care Mm -hmm. so why is this why is it different and i think you know you're given you're like oh who's your doctor i'm like doctor's not delivering my baby i'm delivering my baby but also the doctor most of the time has nothing to do with it they just stand off in the corner like it's the midwives that are there all day every day seeing babies delivered and helping mums to birth their babies so to have that Continuity of care is just, it's invaluable. And, you know, I paid big money for my first private OB. There is no way she would let me message her at 10 o'clock at night because I was worried about something. Yeah. Or 6 o'clock in the morning or, you know, phone calls over the weekend, house visits. Like, But you get that oh, with your private midwife, don't you? You do. And you get with the MGP. program? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so that made a huge difference like I had to go to the clinic towards the end obviously I had to go every second day but other than that I went once every other antenatal appointment was at my house oh so good especially when you've got another child there that's running around with a toddler it's so hard you have to completely strap him into a pram and entertain him somehow it's usually with wiggles or food or both Um, or you have to palm him off to a family member or a friend while you go to these appointments. Uh, So for them to be able to come to your house and to, you know, like you're just sitting at your kitchen bench having a conversation with them while they're checking your blood pressure. So nice. It's it's beautiful. So, yeah, you could just message them. They don't always get back to you at 10 o'clock at night. But (laughs) But you can flick them. But there's also someone on call 24-7 as well because obviously they're, you know, there's there's quite a few mums that they're looking after. So you either get, if it's urgent, you get put through to someone that's on call and they'll call you and they'll tell you to meet you at the hospital or they'll come out and see you or whatever it might be. So that's like, it was so, so good. And um, yeah, so my MGP midwife met me at the doors of the maternity. She's like, let's do this. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. So I brought with me, you know, 
my positive affirmations. We hung those up in the labour suite. Um, I bought my playlist with me, my Clary Sage. We had that in the diffuser. We pushed the bed right out the way. So once I had my first check to make sure, yeah, I definitely was three centimetres, they couldn't really feel my waters. So I was a bit like, how's this going to go? Um, it took four goes <laughs> to break my waters. And I was like, we're doing it. Like, Was I'll- that because it was like higher? Yeah. Yeah. They couldn't really, because my first, I was four centimetres and quite bulging, whereas my second, I was only three centimetres and I was still pretty thick. So like my waters were still quite high. So it took a little bit. I think my midwife tried two times and then we had the registrar from the ward come in and she tried two times and we finally got it. (laughs) So I don't care how uncomfortable this is, like we're breaking my waters. So, yeah, my waters were broken and then my midwife sort of, we sat down and she said, now, how long do you want? And I was like, 24 hours. And she's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yep, give me 24 hours. And she's like, okay so what does she think you were going to go less or more she thought she thought that because with my arms they're pretty like as i said with my first it was minute on minute off contractions she didn't know how i would go after like after 24 hours of minute on minute off contractions so i said she said okay let's reassess at lunchtime and i'm like yep no worries. You're like, I am a birthing goddess we here. Are, I've got this. We're fine. <laughs> so my husband and I, we left the room. Um, so maternity at Bummery Regionals at the to- on the top floor. So we walked down the stairs. We went out to the car park. We did a few laps around. We walked back up the stairs, up and down, up and down. Up and down. I was like, we're doing this. We're getting this baby here today. And um, came back every now and then just to be checked, just to be monitored, Doppler put on. And I think by about... 11 i think i was in active labor um so that was that yeah minute on minute off from then and so my husband sort of looked at my midwife and he's like do we sit up the pool now and she's like yep get it up so we pushed the bed to the side of the labor suite we blew up my pool filled it up and my sister arrived my sister-in-law arrived so we had a bit of a oh you had more coming had, in this we time had every, Beautiful. We had everybody the second one is it a bit more like Oh, I've done this before. It's fine. Everyone, yeah, come in. Come, on. <laughs> come join. I don't mind. Everybody, yeah. everybody's welcome to my birth. Um, so, yeah, we had them, which was great. My sister-in-law was a massage therapist. So she, oh. The counter pressure she was giving me so good. was so good. Um, and at the end, I had one of them taking photos and one of them videoing like right at the end as well. So that was pretty special, but they were feeding me. They were giving me water between the two of them um, and my husband obviously as well. So, so you managed to get your water birth with GD. Yeah. Oh my God. So I think just after lunch, I may, I think I've gotten to the pool just after lunch and I was like, ah, yes, this is what I wanted. This is all I wanted. Um, so I did a lot of movement in the water, which is so easy, so much easier in the water than obviously on land. So I did a lot of movement and it was right at the end, which transition again, I did the whole, I can't do this, like bawling my eyes out. I was actively pushing, which I think at that point I was just like, I'm tired. I can feel that pressure. I just, I'm pushing baby out. And my midwife is like, I hadn't had any checks at this point either. So my midwife's like, I don't know if you're 10 centimetres. Like you've seems like you've been pushing for a little while. 
I don't know if you're at 10 centimeters. So I was like, (laughs) she said, baby might not be in the right position or you just might not be dilated to 10. So I just don't want you doing anything right now. She said, I'm going to have to get you out of the bed onto the bed. And I was like, no, because I knew once I got out of that pool, I wouldn't get back in. And I really wanted to have my baby in the water. Um, I think I just. So why did you think you wouldn't get back in? I think just once I got onto the bed, I think that's where I would have stayed. Unless my husband physically lifted me up and put me back mm, in the water. So it was such an effort to move. Yeah. By that stage. So um, I sort of did that. That's when I was like, no, like I'm not doing this. And, you know, the tears started and. She's like, okay, let's just move you off from your bum onto your knees. And I'm like, okay. So that was that first stage of getting me up out of the water. Now I know that she was just moving me into a better position. So she didn't actually want to check me. She didn't want me out of the pool. Maybe she did, but she'd since told me, she's like, I just needed you to change positions and I needed you to get that energy from somewhere to do it. So I moved over to my knees and then I was like, okay, I'm not pushing anymore. My body's doing this. My surges were like full on. There was so much pressure and they had the mirror at the bottom of the pool and I started to see Bub's head. So I was like, okay, we're not getting out of the pool now. Well, <laughs> Baby's coming. Oh my gosh. So And you managed to go the whole um, birth without being checked as well? Yep. No, yeah, didn't get checked. From obviously, you know, my three centimetres at the very start popping my waters yeah didn't get checked so that's that thing with the midwives they just know they know the noises they know your movements they know transition they can see you know the dark spots on the bottom of your like where your bum is they know all of that no no you know if you're going off to do a poo okay like these are all signs you don't need to be checked no and it doesn't really give you and you can say no Yes, can definitely women, say no. Women do not know that they can say no to that. You can say no, I do not want to be checked. Unless it gets right to the end and you've been obviously bearing down for so long and nothing's happening, then, yeah, maybe Bub's not in the right position. or And that's more so not dilation. That's more so just checking if Bub's head's in the right position. So, um, yeah, I saw Bub's head on the mirror and I was like, okay, we're doing this. And sort of my body took over at that point and, yeah, birthed Bub and pulled Bub up and sat back and I was like, I did this. And they're like, yeah, you did. <laughs> and I was like, I, I've done it. Like, I got my water birth. I got my water birth. And did you pull baby up? Or? Yes. Oh, my husband and I both <gasps> did. Um, and then, yeah, sat back at the pool and I was like, okay. Um, sort of straight away my midwife was like, oh, I'm not really happy with the breathing. So we sort of, she gave us a little minute. We found out what we had, which I kind of expected that we we're having another boy and we did so mac was born and yeah we she sort of looked at him and she said she said yeah i'm not i'm not happy with the way he's breathing um so she called the paid team in um so i got skin to skin in the pool hubby got to cut the cord we did do delayed cord clamping probably not for as long as what i was hoping um i was even kind of hoping for a lotus birth so that sort of didn't happen, but I was like, okay, Bub's had enough now. Like, yeah, he needs to be sort of taken away. So he was sort of taken straight up by the midwives, put on the um, in the little humi crib, checked over, and my student midwife at the time stayed with me and she helped me in delivering my placenta. So, I, again, I had physiological third stage with him 
And then the pediatrician came in and said, yeah, we're going to go take him down to the nursery. So he got taken down there. Hubby went with him. Um, I had another second degree tear. So I had a second degree tear with my first. I had a second degree tear with my second. So I got stitched up, which <sighs> being stitched up after no pain relief. You can feel the difference. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that was a big difference there. That was, I that was the worst part. I've heard that was people the worst say part. that. And it wasn't the stitching. It was the local anesthetic. Oh, wow. Okay. The, yeah. The little needles oh. into the, oh. a very sensitive area that's just pushed a baby yes. out. Yes. It, that, was, that, was, uh, that was a bit rough. And so did you tear in the same spot? As, yes. Okay. And so is that common then normally? You would I tear? think they say, from what I've read and from what I've heard, they say if you have kids two years apart, it's kind of, it should be okay and you may get away with not tearing but because my kid my babies were born 20 months apart I think I just hadn't left long enough to heal possibly um and it was just a second degree tear whereas my first was at the end of a second degree so I think maybe the water helped movement helped um but yeah tore in the same spot so yeah that was pretty uncomfortable (laughs) looking comparing your first birth and your second birth sounds like you had a lot more things in your second birth in the room to create a beautiful yes. place. What would be – what did you do differently, do you think, uh, in knowing how your process was going to go? Doing the positive birth program or the hypnobirthing classes, that opened my eyes to so many more things because, you know, they go through the whole transition and, you know, don't just reach for the drugs straight away, which, you know – if you want drugs, go for it. But I personally didn't want that. And I knew that that clouded my birth the first time. So I was like, what else can I use? So we did, um, you're definitely hypnosis. We did, um, my husband was reading positive affirmations from, I hung them in the room. So he was reading them to me in my ear. So he was whispering them to me. Um, I was telling myself, you can do anything for a minute, which is totally true you can do anything for a minute which is the Mm. length of a contraction so um, I was talking I didn't call them contractions I called them surges because your body as soon as your body hears pain or contraction it sort of like tenses up so that then makes it harder to let go to you know release yeah to release it so that all of that changed um having it like the pool in the middle of the room with the bed pushed to the side. It wasn't then it wasn't a medical space anymore. It was my birth space. So having that as well, we had the little fake tea light candles going. We had the, sh- the blinds down. Um, yeah, it was pretty awesome. Sounds it was awesome. Pretty, pretty awesome. And I didn't think it could get any better until I had my third. Thank you for listening to Unscripted with Alex. This show was brought to you by Batika Co. 